Hello guys, welcome to another episode of Addicted to Crime. I'm your host, Shelby, and I'm ready to tell you a story about the case of the Lululemon murder. Let's dive in. So before I begin, I just have some quick business that I want to get out of the way really quick. I'm going to be shouting out our first few patrons at the end of today's episode. So if you are a patron and you want to hear your name, stay tuned to the end of the episode for that. Also, don't forget to join the Patreon for one free episode per month. You get free perks, you get cool gifts when you join, and you can find the link to that in our show notes and on the website. I also want to shout out to Olivia Green and thank her for joining me last week. We had so much fun. I hope you all enjoyed it. We had a great time together like we always do and I enjoyed having her on. It was a crazy case. So much information, such a deep dive. And we talked about actually the possibility of her coming on maybe like once a month or something more regular. So let me know what you guys think about that. For the case today, I want to shout out the source that has been the most influential in my research. I found an amazing book on Audible called Murder in the Yoga Store by Peter Ross Range, and it was amazing. He dives into so much research, and he's also a White House correspondent. He wrote for The Times at one point and the National Geographic. So as soon as I saw his credentials in the beginning, I knew this was going to be a thrilling read. And it definitely was. It delivered. Very informative. So after the episode, if you're left wanting more, definitely go check it out. You can only find it on Audible. And it's fantastic. All right, that's enough for business. Let's get down to the case. As you read by the title, we're talking about the Lululemon murder. And this case takes place in Bethesda, Maryland. Now, Bethesda is a suburb of Washington, D.C., and it's only about eight miles away from the capital. And this neighborhood generally is a really safe neighborhood. Bethesda is one of the most renowned communities in the Washington, D.C. area. There's so many upscale shopping centers, amazing restaurants, art venues. And with all of these amenities and the fact that it's an upscale urban area, it's no wonder that it's one of the most expensive cities in America. And it's also really safe. According to the Neighborhood Scouts analysis of the FBI crime statistics, they say Bethesda is safer than 65% of the cities and towns in the U.S. of all population sizes. Now, wow, that is safe. Now, no major crimes had really occurred in Bethesda as of March 2011. There would be your typical robberies and petty crimes, but when you think of the layout of this case, what I want you to picture is an upper-class urban feel with clean streets, bright lights at night, and safe streets. Emphasis on the safe. Everyone felt relaxed, nobody really felt unsafe, and this whole thing would be super new to everyone and it would catch everyone by surprise. The Lululemon was located on a strip called Bethesda Row, and like I said, it was a really upper classy area and it is very gorgeous. It's a very gorgeous spot. It's the in place if you live in this area. Bethesda Row boasts a number of amenities. They have uh, food and drink, style and beauty, health and fitness, and life and culture. Those are all things you can find if you're walking down Bethesda Row, according to their website. And this particular Lululemon was next to an Apple store. And on this particular day, Apple was actually having a really big sale. When this crime took place on the morning of March 11th, 2011, it was a Saturday morning and they were having the sale of their iPad 2. 
the iPad 2 was coming out. There were lines of people in front of the Apple store. Everyone was eagerly awaiting to get in there and buy this iPad. And it was the new hot thing. Everyone had to have it. So the really the strip was just a bustle. Bethesda Row was booming today and it was a really busy area. On the morning of March 11, 2011, the city awoke with the dawning of a new day, the bustling of vehicles and the opening of businesses all around Bethesda Row. Now, Rachel Orley pulled up into a parking space in front of the Lululemon Athletica Yoga Store. Rachel was the manager at this store, and she was ready to open on this Saturday morning. She was expecting a great day in sales. Like I said, the Apple has this new sale of the iPad right next door. That'll bring customers. Plus, it's a Saturday morning, and the strip is already a buzz with shoppers. It was going to be a great day. Rachel reached into her purse to get the keys to unlock the door, but when she looked up to the store door, she was shocked to see it was already open. Her first reaction was shock, but then she got a little angry. Jane Murray was on shift the night before, and she was usually one of her best workers, and so she didn't think it was like her to be this careless. The second she opened the door, however, she knew something was wrong. Not only was the door left open, but the whole store was askew. Clothes and other merchandise were thrown on the floor. Boxes were on the ground and looked like they had been gone through. Mannequins were on the ground. Rachel stepped in the store and started shaking and tears sprang to her eyes. She had never been more terrified. Like, can you imagine? Rachel proceeded to walk into the store, but she came full stop when she saw huge bloody footprints leading to the back of the store. She ran out of the store immediately, white as ash, and she was completely freaked out. Later in court, she would testify of this horrible morning. She said, quote, I was too scared to walk back because it looked like there was a struggle. I knew something was wrong. And, quote, one of my girls was hurt, end quote. As she ran out of the store, she began to dial 911. A man who was waiting in line for the Apple store walked up to her to see if she was okay and if she needed any help. Rachel told the man that she thought that the store had been robbed, but she didn't know if anyone was still in there. Ryan Hugh, the Good Samaritan who offered to help, after hearing what Rachel found in the store, he offered to go in and see if anyone was in the store that needed help, and just to see what was going on. And I just want to point out that it would have been very easy for him to just ignore her Rachel. She's an adult, she'll be fine. It's not my business, she'll be fine. I don't want to get involved. Whatever excuse he could think of would have worked in this case. However, instead of making up an excuse, Ryan stepped up and offered to help, and he inserted himself into the case. Ten years later, we're still talking about Ryan and about how he bravely stepped up and offered to help. And I think that's pretty cool to think that there are still good people in this world. Anyway, I digress. Back to the ugliness that is murder. <laughs> Ryan is making his way into the store. He looks around him, and he sees just, just the complete disaster that Rachel just saw. He keeps going, he sees the bloody footprints, and he starts walking over the debris on the trash, Lululemon floor, and he goes to the back of the store. Ryan starts going down this hallway, and now the hallway floors were soaked with blood, like someone or something had been dragged through the hallway. There was blood on the walls, and like they reached out onto the walls, like someone was being drugged, and they tried to reach onto the walls to stop themselves or to just help themselves up. And looking forward, Ryan noticed a blood spatter high up in the walls, about five to six feet high. He looked into one of the rooms and he saw someone lying on the ground completely soaked in blood. That person to Ryan looked like a man and the man wasn't moving. The head was bashed in and horrified, Ryan backed away. And as he's backing away, he notices a young woman in the room next door and she's cut, she's bleeding. She has her hands tied up with a zip tie above her head. And she too was covered in an insane amount of blood. He tapped the body that wasn't moving and he was just praying that the body would move, just please move. But when the body didn't move, 
Ryan backed up and just ran out of that building, completely terrified. Ryan rushed out of the store as the police were arriving. When investigators arrived, they didn't know what lie in wait for them at the Lululemon store. They discovered that it was a young woman, not a man, that was lying face down in the pool of blood, and her name was Jaina Murray, and she was dead. Completely honest, I hate checking my mail most days. It seems like there's always just a huge pile of bills and credit card offers, hello, early 20s, and just other various junk mail that goes straight into my garbage as soon as I'm in my house. But the one thing that always stops me in my tracks is when there's a cute little envelope addressed by hand. I know that somebody somewhere has sent me a card, and so now I just need to open it immediately and see what it's all about. My name is Olivia Green, and I recently founded a company called The Stillwater Company. Basically what it is, is just a line of greeting cards and other products that you can send to people through good old-fashioned snail mail and brighten their day a little bit. All of the designs are based around capturing the simplicity of rural living. Whether that be baby goats on my parents' farm, horses grazing in a pasture alongside the road, or just super colorful flowers in the summer. All the designs and products can be found on my website at www.welcometostillwater.com. And from there you'll be able to sort through greeting cards, note cards, and all the products. There's also actually digital files available for purchase. You can literally download them right to your computer, and from there you can use them for your own prints or products that are unique to you and your needs. So again, the website is www.welcometostillwater.com. Please feel free to contact myself directly through the website. I am always able to help you find the perfect collection that you love. Jaina Troxell Murray was born November 22, 1980, in Wichita, Kansas, to her father, Dave, and her mother, Phyllis Roslyn Murray. Now, growing up, Jaina was a bright young girl. She was very observant of the world around her. She had blonde hair and vibrant blue eyes. She loved learning, and she just really soaked up everything that she got. She was like a sponge. According to her obituary on Dignity Memorial, Jaina attended St. Louis University in Madrid, Spain for two years before graduating with a Bachelor of Science degree from George Washington University in D.C., Jaina was near completion of her Master's of Communication and her Master's in Business Administration from Johns Hopkins University. And she was only, this is going to break your heart, she was only a few weeks away from finishing both degrees. She was almost ready to graduate. She was so close after all of her hard work. Jaina loved dancing, hiking, traveling, and she loved animals. She had been skydiving before. She'd been bungee jumping. She was fearless. One of her bucket lists was to travel to each continent. Now, she only had one more continent to hit before she reached her goal, and that was Antarctica. She was so, so close to achieving her dream. She had so much drive and ambition. When her roommate came to her apartment one day with a Lululemon bag, Jaina was intrigued, and she immediately wanted to go visit the store. She fell in love with the work ethic and fitness-focused and healthy lifestyle, and that matched up so perfectly to her life goals. She had to work there. She started working there, and it was not long before she was a sales team leader at Lululemon Apparel. Jaina loved working there, and actually, she was just in love with the store in general. She wrote a thesis about Lululemon and about their management teams, and she was just fully devoted to learning as much as she could about the company, and I really believe that if she were still here, she would have made it high up the ranks at Lululemon. She was friendly with all those around her. All of her coworkers loved her. She was dependable. She could be relied upon, and she really was the perfect employee. Back at the crime scene, Officer Kristen Newth, who was on call that day, he reported that Gina's socks stuck out the most to him. Now, her socks were soaked in blood, not just, you know, blood spatter, but they were soaked in blood. And the scene, 
they just had it had so much blood it, and it had so much potential evidence they immediately shut down the neighborhood and officers started canvassing nearby areas and they also canvassed the businesses around to see if they saw anything Jaina was pronounced dead on scene and Brittany, the other woman that was there she was rushed to the hospital and an officer went with her to see if he could get a statement from Brittany to see what happened when they're interviewing the nearby stores in the neighborhood, one boutique manager from across the street named Christy Donahue said, quote, This is an area I never would have expected this to happen, period. I just think we've always felt so safe. It's something we've taken for granted. Maybe this is an eye-opener that we need to be more aware, end quote. At the hospital, Brittany tearfully told the officer what happened. Embrace yourself because it's truly awful, and I'm going to add a disclaimer. There is mention of sexual assault and just wanted to make you aware. So here's Brittany's story. Brittany said that at closing, she and Jaina left the store, but then after Jaina left, Brittany realized that she couldn't find her wallet. Now, it would be fine, like she could get it later, no big deal, but she needed her wallet, especially because it had her Metro card in it and she needed it to get home. So Brittany called Jaina and since Jaina was a team leader at Lululemon, she had a spare set of keys and she could open the door for her to go in and get her wallet. And Jaina came back with like no big deal. And so the girls are inside looking for the wallet when suddenly two masked men burst into the business. One of the men grabbed Jaina and drug her by her hair into another room. The other man grabbed Brittany and forced her to open the cash register, all the while beating her and hitting her across the head. The man then became angry with Brittany and he drug her to another room where he started yelling obscenities at her and he called her horrible racial slurs and then he started cutting her sadistically all over her body. Brittany said that while this was happening, she could hear Jaina screaming in the other room. She was screaming for them to stop. She was just, you could tell she was in a lot of pain. Brittany desperately tried to push the man off of her, but he began to sexually assault her and then he grabbed a metal hanger and started raping her with the hanger. Brittany said she screamed and begged him to stop. While he was assaulting her, Brittany told the officer that she could hear the employees at Apple talking in the other store. Since the Apple and Lululemon shared that uh, adjoining wall, Brittany only hoped that they were calling 911 and getting her help. The man finally stopped assaulting her. He tied up her hands and the two men left. And Brittany noticed that Jaina wasn't making any sounds anymore. Brittany then blacked out and when she woke up again, it was the next day and there were the officers talking to her. People were working on her and they were getting ready to take her to the hospital. Now, the officer interviewing Brittany was just absolutely shocked, like I'm sure you guys are. She couldn't believe what she was hearing. These men sound like the worst of humanity. They sound evil. They sound sadistic. They're rapists. They're racist. It's just the worst of the worst. When the investigator asked if she could give a description of the men, Brittany struggled a bit. She said that they wore black clothing, including a black hoodie that was zipped up all the way, and they had a black hat or like a ski mask covering their faces. And it was so tight on both of them that she couldn't even notice their like skin color around their eyes because the mask was so tight. She did say, though, that it was two men. One was very tall and one was very short. And Brittany was crying when telling her horrible account and she asked how Janie was doing. The investigator lied to her and said she wasn't sure at this time because she wanted to keep on interviewing her, you know. Jaina passed away at the Lululemon store that day, March 11, 2011. Once investigators got word of Brittany's account, right away they began investigating. Wow, these are two horrible guys. They're a danger to society. We have to get them off the street. There were two investigators specially assigned to the case, Officer Jim Drury and Dimitri Rubin. And the second they stepped on to the the, the scene, they just didn't realize how much of a whirlwind this case would be for them. 
they noticed an issue right away. So what they really needed was surveillance. They needed to see what was going on the day before the crime as well as the day of the crime. But the problem was Bethesda felt like such a safe city that a lot of store owners didn't have surveillance. And so they went from business to business asking and they just couldn't find anyone with the work, either surveillance that worked or that even had surveillance. Finally, they got to a store that had it and they found on the cameras something interesting. On these security cameras, the store owner pointed out a man named Kevin Lowry. Now, Kevin Lowry was a really tall black man, and he was walking with two other white men, and one was noticeably short. Kevin, in this video, was also wearing a black backpack. The store manager thought it was odd. I mean, odd enough to mention it to the officers, right? The investigator's ears perked up at this, though, because Brittany said she couldn't be sure of the race of the two men who assaulted her and Jaina but she thought they were possibly white, like most likely white. It could be possible that maybe Kevin was the lookout while the other men robbed the girls, and it wouldn't be the first time in a robbery situation that someone would be a lookout. So it was possible. Finally, investigators were getting like their first solid lead, and it didn't take very long at all. Kevin Lowry often hung out at this restaurant, and it really wasn't far from Lululemon. I think it was about a mile or quite a little under a mile, and he was known to be really loud, really arrogant. He would start fights, and he really didn't like women at all. He kind of hated them actually. Kevin was actually a regular at this restaurant and so much so that the restaurant owner noticed he did not come in the night of the murders. So he he is not in his normal spot. He differed from his usual routine. And of course, this is perking investigators' ears up like, hmm, our suspect was nowhere to be seen on the night of the murders. Hmm. So as they were digging more into this guy, Detective Reuven kind of was like, hmm, okay, let's try to see where he's at now. Well, he actually was at a hospital for some injuries at this exact time. And of course, again, this is another red flag that's popping up. But instead of being at a hospital in Bethesda, he was actually at a hospital in Tacoma, which is about eight to 10 miles away. And so they were kind of like, why would you go out of your way to go to a hospital if you're hurt when there's literally one right there why would you like go out of your way to do that unless you were trying to hide something and unless you were guilty and actually Brittany herself was being treated at the bethesda hospital so everything's starting to fit in investigators eyes they think they have peter lowry in their sights it's got to be this guy let's just get more evidence for him so they get an arrest warrant and they go to this hospital to go interview and arrest Kevin Lowry. Now, when they got there, Kevin was laying in his hospital bed and he had like this ice pack on and he was nice laying in his bed looking like this pitiful mess, like someone couldn't hurt, he couldn't hurt anyone. And they were starting to interrogate him. Now, he had an excuse right away as to what had gone on. He told investigators that he actually got assaulted on the street. And he said he knows who assaulted him. It was this guy, this black guy. He had dreads. And he said that he is a known criminal and he's known for beating people up. He's known for taking their money. He also said he hangs out with this really short Hispanic guy. And so investigators like, okay, so we got a tall guy and we got a short guy. Brittany said the guys were tall and short. Like, hmm, maybe, maybe there really is something to his story. Kevin even said that he saw some men, these two men assaulting the girls at the Lululemon store. He says he witnessed it. He said he was across the street. Now, to you and I, this might sound like, okay, he's a suspect. Like, he's he's saying he saw it, but he's not putting himself in that situation. He's kind of removing himself from the situation. But investigators, Drury and Rubin, they really just didn't think this guy was their guy. Detective Drury was really good at reading people, and he was just a really good investigator. And he just had this feeling that Kevin was just a dead end. It was just not the, the ticket to answering this crime. He didn't think Kevin did it. So, finally, they decided not to pursue 
Kevin Lowry as a suspect. And so now we're at Sunday. It's only been two days since the attack. And the chief investigator, the police chief, excuse me, Jay Thomas Manger, he decides to hold a press conference that Sunday morning. And again, it's only two days after the event. He wants to talk to the public. Everyone's just going insane. It's pandemonium. Everyone's frightened. This was a random and extremely violent event. And they were all just wondering who would be next. They, the public just needed these people off the streets. There was just no sense of calm anymore. So the police chief told the public basically what was going on. He was keeping everyone fresh of the case. He told the public about the girls' conditions, how Jaina had passed away, and Brittany was badly injured but going to survive. He also told the public that the police were pursuing different leads, and he told the public that they were close to catching the killer just to give them a sense of relief. Brittany spent only one day in the hospital, and then she was finally able to be released because thankfully her injuries weren't that serious after all. There was just a lot of blood but a lot of the wounds were mainly only superficial. And so Brittany's released. She goes to stay with her family. A lot of her family flew from where they were just to all be together. She had a huge family, and they were just going to be there to support her and support her through her healing process. Now, the investigators, Reuven and Drury, decided to go interview her because they haven't spoken to her directly yet. And she is the only surviving member of this attack, so they had to go speak with her and get her statements in person. They got to Brittany's house, and Brittany actually lived in the basement apartment of her sister's apartment. And so her sister lived upstairs, and she lived downstairs. And when they were interviewing her, they, you know, did the usual thing. They asked her again to recall the events, and Brittany started giving more and more details. Now, this is normal because sometimes when you're in this trauma situation, you kind of repress memories. And so that's why you get a statement right away, and then you get a statement a, a couple days later to see kind of what's changed, to see what's added. Maybe the victim remembered something that they hadn't before. And that was the case in Brittany's case this time. She remembered that the guys, they wore that ski mask and they also had a hoodie pulled over the ski mask. She said they were about their mid-20s or so and they smelled of cigarettes. And she said, you know, they're definitely white. I wasn't sure before, but now I know that they're definitely white. So these are really good details for investigators to have, honestly. And any detail is a good detail at this point. Brittany also gave them some more details about what happened. She said that she actually tried to get out at one point, and she did manage to get out through the back door, but then they caught her and brought her in. They, According to the book that I read, again, it's a fantastic book. Go read it, Murder in the Yoga Store. According to that book, Brittany said that she actually got away for a second and ran out the back door. And according to that book, she, when she was talking to investigators, she said that the men grabbed her, and then they kind of put her over Jaina and said like look you did this it's because of you that she's hurt this and that like kind of blaming her and Brittany gave the excuse that maybe they didn't hurt me because they wanted me to live with the guilt that it was my fault and that's what she's told investigators so like they still beat her savagely raped her but they wanted to leave her alive just so she would be alive with that guilt. And of course, this is really hard for Brittany. She's having to relive this horrible experience and she was crying and inconsolable, just shaking and just not in a good place. Just thinking about all the details of what happened to her and Jaina. The investigators talked to her about something that did come up forensically in the case. Now, a, a investigator named Craig Wittenberger, he discovered that when they were searching the Lululemon store, he discovered a large pair of men's sneakers up high on a shelf 
and they were size 14 and he realized like wow they matched the footprints actually in the store and of course the question then was is did the detective did the attackers leave them behind? They noticed that there were blood on the tops of the shoes, but the soles were clean, so that's really weird. And also the shoes didn't have any laces. Now the investigators, they actually asked Brittany about the shoes during this interrogation at her home. And she told them that they were for alteration purposes and they actually belonged to the store. So the investigators were like, okay, they didn't belong to the suspect, like that's weird. And Brittany also told them a new piece of information. She told them that the men seemed to know all about her. And she thinks that they could have found her information while digging through her bag while they were going through stuff in the store. So she said she was really afraid that they would come back and hurt her again. And that was basically the mood of all the Lulu women girls at this time. They didn't know if it was a targeted thing. They didn't know, along with all of Bethesda, where these two guys were and what their motive was. Like, it was just, it seemed completely random and just plain cruel. Now, Detective Reuben was actually the first person who actually had some kind of doubts about Brittany and about her story. Things just weren't piecing together for him. Like, it, it just didn't really make any sense. So these guys were so dangerous and so crazy, but yet they came into Lululemon without a, a gun or without a weapon. According to Brittany, they came in without any kind of weapon. So what kind of robbers go into a high-tech store or like a, a big store in a busy area without any kind of weapon? And plus, they just seem to have everything wrong. Like, if you picture the perfect villains, like, everything about that, these guys had. They were racist. They were cruel. They were sadistic. It just didn't, it just seemed like too much. It just seemed like too much that it couldn't even be true. What they used to kill Gina and Brittany came from the store itself. Nothing that they used to harm the girls actually came from them. So they would have had to assume that they could grab weapons at this Lululemon apparel store to attack the girls and to rob. Like, uh, it just doesn't really make any sense. So they decide maybe Brittany is hiding something. Maybe Brittany is the killer. Now, this did not go over well with a lot of people in the police department. They thought, no, there's no way that this girl could be involved in this. She was the victim. She absolutely took no part in this. It was really kind of thought to be like this ridiculous theory, but Officer Reuben just couldn't get rid of this feeling. And when his partner, Officer Drury, came on board with him, they were just determined to figure out what was going on. So they call Brittany in for another interview, and she actually comes down to the station, and she's interviewed by these two officers. One other thing that really stuck out to investigators as weird when they thought Brittany could be involved is Brittany, like I said, only had superficial wounds. Whereas Jaina was just absolutely demolished. According to the medical examiner, the medical examiner just couldn't believe what they were seeing. She said, and the medical examiner's name is Dr. Mary Ripple. And according to her, as she was looking at Jaina's body, she was just shocked at the brutality and just sheer number of injuries she was looking at. She estimated that Jaina had at least 331 separate distinct injuries on her body. 300 and 31 331 that's so colossal like i can't even wrap my head around that number how does someone injure someone 331 times like and that doesn't even include the wounds that overlapped so she could be stabbing in the same spot that doesn't count this is 331 separate injuries and in addition to all those injuries, the injuries were found to not even be from the same weapon, but rather about six different weapons. And so as she was further examining Jaina, she discovered that Jaina was alive, if not for most of all 
of those 331 injuries. Jaina felt everything. As Dr. Ripple was closely examining the body, she noticed that at least 100 of those wounds were defensive wounds. So Jaina was trying to shield herself or to get away from her attacker. Jaina suffered specifically 232 blunt force injuries to the body, 99 sharp force injuries to her body, and over 100 injuries on her head. And her skull was cracked in at least eight different places. So Brittany gets like scratches and only requires a couple stitches. And Jaina gets just demolished. It just wasn't not adding up for investigators. Like this doesn't seem possible. It just does not seem possible. Also, I'm not sure if you remember or not. But when I started this episode, I said Brittany's hands were tied up on top of her head with the zip ties. Well, imagine your hands are out in front of you. Imagine they're zip tied shut. Now imagine you put your hands above your head. That's how Brittany was lying on the ground. And one thing investigators noticed like right away and kind of brushed that thought down is why didn't she just lower her hands and like let her arms rest in her lap? That would be much more comfortable. If you're there all night, you wouldn't be holding your hands above your head like that. And so a lot of things just weren't adding up. One other thing that the book mentioned too is that the zip ties came from the Lululemon store. So not only did these robbers not bring weapons, not only do they seem to be all over the place with no real motive, but also they use zip ties from the store. So what were they going to constrain these women with? When Detective Reuven was going over these theories in his head, all of these issues were kind of coming into his head. He also said, you know, the Apple store only, when they listen to these people, get killed and they didn't react let's just hold my thoughts right there for that for a second i'm sure we all have the same thoughts um yeah moving on when the apple store employees heard the commotion they heard the women screaming they only heard two voices two voices they didn't hear four voices so he said with all that into account in his mind with all that evidence with all the fact with the fact that the shoes were placed back on the shelf so these men what did they not come wearing shoes and then they just put the shoes on and like kind of walk around in the blood and then put the shoes back up on the shelf it's just not making sense it's looking more like Brittany put these shoes on and walked around to try to cover for herself in closer examination of Brittany's wounds they thought that these wounds looked like they were self-inflicted why were Jaina's wounds so much worse than Brittany's. Why is Jaina dead and Brittany alive with only a few stitches? The wound patterns on the body, the medical examiner said, definitely lined up to where if someone were to cut themselves. It, it, it's all matching up. It's looking like it's Brittany. And so they needed to bring her in for a second interview. They also found some interesting evidence that they were wanted to question Brittany on to see if she would come up with a lie or to see if she would somehow change the story. So what they found is they found Brittany's blood inside Jaina's car later on. And the question is, if this whole scenario with the two masked men happened, why would Brittany move Jaina's car? It just doesn't make sense unless she were going to get help. And we know that's not what happened. We know officers found her inside and back of the store. So they had to question her on this. They wanted to see if she would have a, any white lies at all to kind of open the door for further questioning. So they just really needed to get the truth out of Brittany. Finally, Brittany comes in and they ask her about the blood in the car. They ask her first if she has ever been in Jane's car. Simple, right? You would, you would think that she'd be like, oh yeah, yes I have, like no big deal. She said she has not ever been in Jane's car. 
So right away, officers are like, whoops, this is a big red flag. Why not just admit to being in Jaina's car? Like, just say, yeah, she's given you a ride before. Or, yeah, I moved it one time. Unless you had something more serious to hide. So this was a further... It, it further pushed investigators to think that Brittany was culpable in this crime, if not was the one who committed the entire crime. Brittany then told investigators that the masked men were actually the ones that made her move the car. She said that they threatened her, and they told her that if she spoke to anyone, that they would kill her and kill her family. And so she said that she took the car and parked it in the back of the store and then walked back to the store. When the investigators pressed her about why she didn't just ask for help when she was walking back to the store, or why didn't she just run away and why did she go back, she said she was too afraid and she didn't want the men to hurt her again or her loved ones. One thing that stuck out to me, and I'm sure you listening to are wondering, when I heard this part, I didn't, why did she not get help? Why didn't she get help? I, it just does not make any sense. She could have easily not come back to the store ran and got someone's cell phone, called 911, and the police would have been there in seconds. It's a busy area. Why did she, number one, listen to these people, drive away from the crime scene, and then walk back knowing what was awaiting her there? She didn't know what they were going to do. For all she knew, Jaina was dead, and maybe they were going to kill her next. It just doesn't really make any sense. And also, who in this shopping strip wouldn't have asked her if she's okay? A woman is bleeding and walking and looking like she's in distress and nobody asked her if she was okay? Apparently not because Brittany said no one asked her anything. She said a number of people saw her and made eye contact, look at her, looked at her funny, but they didn't say anything. They didn't even ask if she needed help, which seems odd in a suburban area with families, not even to ask if this young woman's okay, but whatever. Investigators did find it odd themselves too. It just doesn't seem possible that one, Brittany would leave her attackers, drive away from the car, and then walk back to the two men who absolutely brutalized her and her coworker. And two, that no one down this busy street would ignore a bloody woman walking down the street. So investigators questioned her during the second interview for hours. They pressed her on all the details. They asked about her relationship with Jaina. They asked Brittany what would cause her to kill Jaina. They asked if Jaina hit Brittany first. They asked if Jaina started up a fight with Brittany and called her names. They asked all these questions just to try to get Brittany to confess. They tried to use different tactics with Brittany to get her to trust them, to get her to be calm, but she would not budge. Finally, investigators brought one of Brittany's sisters and one of her brothers, uh, Chris, they were brought into the room to see if Brittany would confess to either of them. What investigators did is they laid out the case for the two siblings. They explained to them the turn of events. They explained the evidence they had on her and how it all pointed to Brittany killing Jaina. And of course, the two siblings, they, they had a range of emotions. They were afraid. They said, no, she couldn't possibly have done it. They flat out denied it. And they just, after a few minutes of hearing the evidence, their demeanor started to change. Brittany's sister specifically started sobbing uncontrollably, saying it can't be true, it couldn't be true, and she had to end up being escorted out of the building. And Chris asked to speak with his little sister, Brittany, alone, and so Detectives Drury and Reuben, they left the room. Once the men were gone, Chris leaned into Brittany, and she kind of he kind of begged her just to spill what happened. And it takes a long time in this interrogation, and at one point, Brittany asked, well, she asked him multiple times if there's a camera rolling, and if any of this is being recorded. And Chris mentions to her specifically that, no, I've checked. I don't see any hidden cameras. No, it's fine. It's just us. And so 
that's pretty interesting. And we know, of course, because anyone who knows anything about interrogation rooms, of course, there are people listening in and the officers were listening in unbeknownst to Chris and Brittany. Now, during this conversation, Chris asks her what's going on. She doesn't budge. And he puts up these different scenarios. He says, were you shoplifting again? Is this what happened? Is this because you were stealing? And Brittany says, no, no, it's not because of that. I wasn't stealing. And then he'll say stuff like, what did she say? What did she do? What did you do, Brittany? And then say, we need to get you a lawyer. We need to get you help. And then finally, he told her, he's like, you know, we'll love you no matter what. You just need to confess. So he asked her to walk through it again. And then he said again, were you shoplifting? Is this because you were stealing? And she said, no, Chris, no, it wasn't. Finally, she said what happened. Well, a little bit of what happened. She said she called Jaina back in because she forgot her wallet and that's when everything happened and then when in her confession which I will read later she laid it all out there's no question that she is the one who did kill Jaina and after officers hear this and it's solidified in their mind that of course Brittany's never going home she's going to go to jail and they cuff her read her her Miranda rights and they book her for first degree murder so let's take a step back real quick and kind of look at Brittany's background. Now that she's been arrested for the murder of Gina, let's see kind of how she got to this spot in her life. Brittany had a lot of friends growing up and she was generally a very happy child, but she did have some former allegations of stealing in her background as well. According to the website medium.com, she was known to have a long history of stealing let's put it that way she stole money and jewelry from a neighbor and when her sister babysat their son and she even stole from her soccer teammates at one point when she was growing up and she had a restraining order from her boyfriend her ex-boyfriend he accused her of stealing his current girlfriend's belongings her ex also said that Brittany stole from him when they were together and that she would be violent with him her own sister accused her of stealing cash from her wallet. And so there were all of these instances from family and friends blaming Brittany for stealing as well as from previous employment. There were details of the missing cash from people's purses or from missing belongings. And Brittany was always the one working when there was a problem. And so she has this background and they just know that they can they can really link what happened with this background of stealing. And because they found pair a pair of pants, a pair of Lulu leggings, Lululemon leggings, excuse me, a pair of Lululemon leggings in her backpack that day of the crime. So what were they doing there? Did she steal them? Did she steal them and Jaina catch her? That was the theory that the prosecution was going to work with. The prosecution was going to say that she stole the leggings and at the bag check, uh, Jaina looked into Brittany's bag and saw that she had leggings. And so she said, then we'll talk to the supervisor. And that's when Brittany supposedly snapped. That's what story they were going with. So they think they have a motive. They think they could say that Brittany snapped when Jaina confronted her about stealing and that's what led Brittany to kill Jaina. It's a stretch, of course, but they think that's what their motive is. And now it's time to bring her to court. And so finally, they have are at the process where they're picking the jury. And again, as it always is, this is a high profile crime. It's really hard to find impartial people to serve 
on a jury, but they had to, they had to find him. And so in Montgomery County, it seemed that every channel you would turn to, they were talking about the Lululemon murders. It was a media circus. They were flashing Jane and Brittany's pictures up on the screen and telling the tales of their gruesome crimes. It was going to be hard, like it always is, to find that impartial jury. Like we've said before, people see and hear about a crime on TV, they're going to come up with their own theory, their own version of events. And that is eventually going to lead to a prejudiced jury. So it's really important to vet the potential jury members carefully to see if they'd be a good fit. They finally found the jury members, and it consisted of six men and six women. It was going to be up to them to see if Brittany did kill Gina in first-degree murder. The defense, they tried a tactic of not trying to argue at all that Brittany didn't kill Gina. They admitted right away, right up front, that Brittany did kill Gina. But rather, they were arguing that it was not premeditated, thus making it second-degree murder instead of first. The defense said that Brittany just, quote, lost control, end quote. By arguing for second-degree murder, this would give Brittany significantly less prison time. According to the laws in Maryland, premeditative murder, or first-degree murder, carries the probable life in prison with no possibility of parole. While second-degree murder carries a max of only 30 years, with a chance of release after 15 years. So they're trying to get her the, this lesser sentence. The prosecution painted a picture of sheer hatred and rage from Brittany. They said that Brittany hit Jaina over the head with a rod, a rod that was about a foot in length and used to hang merch at the store. And then they, he, she kept chasing her around the store and beating her with the rod until she stopped breathing. During the trial, when the prosecution had a lot of images that they wanted to share with the court, they had about 35 different autopsy pictures, but they decided only to share three. They showed Jaina's body at the Lululemon store, they showed the blood in the hallways and on the walls, they showed the bloody footprints, and they put the pictures of Jaina up on the screen for the entire courtroom to see. And while the pictures were being shown, Jaina's mother and sister, they understandably couldn't handle it, and they had to leave the courtroom. Jaina's father, however, stayed and sat alone to watch and hear the rest of it. And I definitely see both sides. My heart hurts for both of them. On one side, it would be just, it would be morbid curiosity that I would just have to know. Plus, just the love you have for your daughter. You just have to know what she went through in her last days. What were her final hours like? But at the same time, I understand 100% not wanting to know. Imagine knowing about your loved one and trying to go to sleep every night and just seeing those images, hearing the prosecution with those details. I just can't imagine. Just the, I just keep thinking of the pictures flashing on the screen and they would just flash in your mind every time you close your eyes. So I definitely see the reason behind leaving and I definitely see the reason for staying. It, you just never know. I just My heart just hurts for them irregardless. According to that NBC article I referenced earlier, under Maryland, Maryland law, premeditation can happen within seconds. So, the longer the prosecution is able to draw out the attack in the juror's mind, the stronger the premeditation case becomes, if that makes sense. The defense had to fight an uphill battle, but they were optimistic. They tried to claim that Brittany just snapped, lost her mind, and kind of had an out-of-body experience when she started attacking Jaina. They claimed that it was due to her state of mind. The prosecution, when they showed the images of Jaina about the injuries she was stained, they included some injuries to her neck. And one injury, uh, neck injury, went through the back of the neck and one through her head into her brain. 
only two of the 300 some injuries and they surmised that it lasted anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes and so they really painted the picture for the jury that it lasted a long time they were deliberate cuts they were cruel cuts i can't imagine stabbing someone in the back of the neck i can't imagine some stabbing someone in the skull it just shows how hateful and full of just rage Brittany was at this time. According, according to a quote by the Montgomery County Circuit Court Judge Robert Greenberg, he's the one who presided over the trial, and this article is by Patch. He said, quote, This is a young woman that's totally facile, totally with it. She knew what she was doing, end quote. It did not take long for the jury to come back with a verdict. In fact, it took um, about an hour, and they came back with the verdict of guilty of first-degree murder, so Brittany would be going to jail. According to an article by the Daily Mail, one of the jurors, Donnie Nepper, said that the panel was basically convinced from the start of deliberations and that what really swayed the jury was just the crazy number of wounds on Jane's body, just the sheer mass of it all. Donnie Knepper said, quote, there's no rational argument that this was anything other than first degree murder, and we tried, end quote. I'm also going to read another quote by a juror in this case. According to NBC Washington, ju this jury said, quote, we first took a vote when we went, and there we were unanimous in our final assessment of the situation. And then we discussed if there was anything that could give us reasonable doubt that wasn't premeditated. But we couldn't come up with anything, given how long the attack took, how many different weapons there were, and how they were in a different location. They were brought to where Jaina was ultimately found. It had to have been premeditated because she had more than ample chance to stop and she had chance to change weapons, end quote. Through this tragedy, it's always amazing to me when families just arise up and have something great come out of something so horrible. And it really just shows you how strong the, that family is, how strong the victim's family was, and how strong the victims were. You know, they, the victims were strong as well. And Jaina, it's just a testament to her. Her family started the Jaina Troxel Murray Foundation. And this foundation is a nonprofit, and it's dedicated to promoting interests that were, were most important to Jaina, like academics, athletics, traveling, arts. And it's really just a testament to how much of a survivor and perseverer Jaina was in her life and someone that lit up the room and someone that just was a joy to be around and it is really it's so sad that she had to meet her death by someone who over a pair of leggings and then for a second we won't go into the Apple store employees because it makes me mad but for a second, those employees at the Apple store, the ones that shared a wall with Lulu Vemon, they heard the attack. They heard what we know now as Jaina calling out for help. They heard Brittany beating her. They heard two voices. And they just brushed it off and said, oh, it's girl drama. It's not our business. We're not there. If they would have gone to that store, maybe Gina could still be alive. We don't know that, of course, 
we don't know what would have happened but you always have that if if they would have acted it would have been uncomfortable what if they would have been wrong they would have gone in and be like hey is everything okay and Jane and Brittany if nothing were wrong would be like yeah we're fine go back to your store that's it nothing would happen just because you have to get up out of your comfortable area to help someone there is something called the bystander effect and I'm sure you've heard of it before what that basically is is if you hear something going on that's wrong you hear something that doesn't seem right your mind will say basically oh someone else will take care of it it's not our problem like someone else will take care of that they think that's what happened to the Apple employees and we hear that all the time you know when someone's getting attacked in a crowded area a lot of times nothing happens not all the time but a lot of times because people around watching or hearing of this or whatever they assume someone else is going to call 911 they'll say someone else can help out so the bystander effect is just a horrible just dilemma and maybe that's what happened but i do have to point out that if they would have stepped up if they would have called if they would whatever if they would have called the police and sent the police over if they would have sent an employee over whatever maybe jana would still be with us who knows it is really really sad to think about we don't know if it could have made a difference maybe not maybe maybe it could have but it's just it just shows to me you need to be the bigger people like that good Samaritan Ryan who offered Rachel, the manager, to go in and search the store. We need more people like Ryan in our life. We don't need more people like those Apple employees who just don't seem to care. And that's all I'm going to say about that. So Brittany is now in in jail. She's had, <laughs> according to different things I've read, she's looking on getting a new trial. She is apparently very high maintenance in prison she does her hair and nails often i mean hey i i like doing my hair and nails too but i've never killed anyone and i'm not in jail so <laughs> whatever but that's what she's like like in jail she gets her nails done she gets her hair she's constantly worried how she's looking and from what i know what i have seen i don't think she's ever confessed uh, well i don't think she's ever come out and said why she did it i don't think she's offered any apologies but I could be wrong. I'll I'll come back later if I find it. But real quick, let's talk about what happened. What happened that night is Brittany did steal something. She had the pants in her back. Jaina confronted her. Jaina said, you know, this is wrong. She checked. Brittany did not have any records of purchasing it. And Brittany did not buy it from another co-worker. So Jaina told Brittany that they're going to take care of the issue the next day. And she would have to tell her supervisor, of course. The two girls locked up. They left the store. And Jaina starts heading home. She texted a friend and said, we caught her. And what she was referring to is Brittany had stolen and been accused of stealing from Lululemon before. And they were going to fire her either the next day or within a couple days. She was going to be fired soon. They just needed to catch her in the act. So when Jaina texted her friend and said, hey, we caught her, that was going to be the end of Brittany at Lululemon. And 
we know that it was Brittany's last day at Lululemon, but not because she was fired. While Brittany was driving home after she told her friend that she caught Brittany, she was about 10 minutes out and she was surprised that Brittany was calling her. When she answered the phone, Brittany told her she was really sorry, but she forgot her wallet at the store and she couldn't get it back because it was locked. And could Jana come back and unlock the store and then she could get the wallet? And the kind soul that Jana was, she was like, sure, no problem. I can come back. You know, no biggie. I forgot my laptop too, so it's fine. I'll grab the laptop. You grab your wallet. It'll be okay. So when Jana pulled back into her Lululemon parking space at 10.05 p.m., Jana let Brittany into the store. Knowing that Jana was going to tell on Brittany to Lululemon and it would kill her chances of pursuing her dreams, Brittany wanted to own her own fitness gym. She wanted to work with Equinox and she had an interview actually that week, a second interview with Equinox and she wanted to, she, that's where she was going. She was going to leave Lululemon behind. She couldn't let her bad reputation of stealing and getting fired from Lululemon follow her to this new job because then she wouldn't have this job. It would ruin her. So that's possible. That's possible motive that she didn't want Jana to tell. We also don't know if maybe she was just enraged and jealous for some reason at Jana. We don't know what went on in Brittany's head that night. And that is what was hardest for the prosecution to prove what was the motive. The defense tried to argue that lack of motive proves the theory that Brittany lost control. But that's something we'll never know. I don't know where I stand on, did she think about it ahead of time? Everything points to that. She knew where the weapons were and it, it didn't take long. It, at 10, 10 p.m., that's when the Apple Store employees said they heard yelling and screaming and things being thrown around. And Brittany, after Jane had died, then decided to brainstorm what to tell people and how to lie to everyone. So if it was just a rage thing, you'd think she would... You, you'd think she would call call 911 and say, I hurt my friend. It was an accident. I didn't mean it. And instead of trying to hide it and making this huge big deal about, about a, a horrible assault, one of the ugliest descriptions of an assault I've ever heard. But she didn't. She decided to hide it. And so we'll never know what was going through her mind. And I just have to say again that my heart hurts. So much for Jaina and for her family, a life that did not have to be lost. And it's just really unfortunate. And Brittany's family lost their daughter as well. And so it's just really, really sad. That's the end of the case for today. I'm going to go ahead and shout out two Patreons today. I'm going to shout out Peter Nanke. He is our first Patreon. That's my hubby. <laughs> uh, so thank you for supporting the show. And I'm also going to shout out Olivia Green. Thank you for supporting the show. Very thankful for the Patreons. If you want to join, please do. You can join on patreon.com slash addicted to crime. And you can also find that, that link on our website as well as on our Instagram and Facebook pages. Basically anywhere. We're also on Twitter at addicted underscore crime. And so anywhere that you look for us, we will have that patron link. You can also check us out on our website, addictedtocrime.org. We've got merch. We've got source material. We've got the patron link. We've got everything. Thanks for listening. Let's be better. Let's check up on our neighbors. If we think something's going on, let's, let's, let's call someone. Let's check in on them. Let's be good humans. Stay safe, you guys. I'll see you next week. <laughs>